So we're here at Marshall's with Liz for some holiday shopping. She's really nailing it this year, isn't she? Oh, yep. She's got a record player for Amy. A gorgeous cozy sweater for Jason. And some hot pink fluffy slippers for her sister. The perfect gift. Wait a sec. <gasps> She's getting a pair for herself. Well, with prices this good, it would be rude not to. You know what? She totally deserves it. Oh, totally. Happy holidays, everyone. See you at Marshall's. Fabulous brands. Feel good prices at, at Marshall's. Marshalls. Flashback, 1985. WWF is preparing their first ever Slammy Awards. And the first ceremony was based on their musical album, the wrestling album. Five categories. Two were actually based on fan voting. So we flash back to 1985 watching WWF television. This little montage aired. And I'm curious, who would you have chosen for best single performer on the wrestling album? If you wish to cast your vote for category B, which is the best single vocal performance on the wrestling album for the Slammers, here are all of the nominees in category B. you all know who won what in a few moments and a couple of tidbits that i did not even know until this week anybody out there is a longtime wrestling fan remembers the wrestling album and even if you liked disco you might find some of this interesting had no idea about some of the tidbits i'm going to share with everybody later on but first the formalities Welcome, everyone. This week in wrestling history, I am back once again. Don Tony here. We are covering the period of February 26th through March 4th. And please continue to send in your input, your feedback, because you actually have molded this show into what it is currently. And I'm sure in the future we may add things, change things. And, you know, the one thing I will tell you is that I, this is so much fun to research because it does bring back a lot of memories being a longtime wrestling fan. It is the most work that I've ever had to do for a show because of that much research. And I'm not going to lie. This is a highlight of what went down in wrestling history this past week. I wish that I could include every match result, every title change, every little nook and cranny that took place this week. But if I did that, this would be a seven hour show. So we try to highlight and give you an overview as far as what went down in wrestling history. 
And I take the moments which I think people would enjoy and appreciate. And like I said at the beginning, when it comes to the wrestling album, the peak of WrestleMania 1, the rock and wrestling connection, it just blows me away that a couple of tidbits, and I'm going to get into it a little bit, I never knew until this week. So you always learn something. It's never too late to learn something, but... Long-time listeners, I think, will appreciate it. But first, let's get into 1984. Jushin Lager makes his pro wrestling debut. He wrestles under his real name. I believe it's pronounced Keichi Yamada. And he loses to Shunji Kuzuji at day two of the New Japan Pro Wrestling Big Fight Series. 1986. WWF airs its first ever Slammy Awards. Now, if you go on YouTube and you search around online, probably the most memorable old school Slammy Awards when Vince was singing Stand Back and everything like that. That took place a year later, 1987. Now, this Slammy Awards for 1986 actually was recorded back in November of 85, but it did not air on television until this week in 1986. It was taking place at the Baltimore Civic Center in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, It was based, as I said earlier, on the wrestling album itself. And uh, it was five categories, a couple of musical performances that night. Uh, Granted, almost everybody was lip syncing. I think Jimmy Hart may have actually been performing his song, Eat Your Heart Out, Rick Springfield. But Mean Gene, Hillbilly Jim, and Junkyard Dog were lip syncing, which is nothing wrong with that. But it was a fun night. I mean, it was campy and kind of corny. I mean, that's what wrestling was in the mid-80s. You didn't expect anything else. Nobody had a problem with it. Uh, But it gives you an idea as far as the popularity of Roddy Piper, even though he was still a heel at this time. But the thing that I enjoyed this week as far as research was the category for best single performance. Um, Now, when you heard that clip at the beginning... The choices were Junkyard Dog, Captain Lou Albano, Mean Gene Oakland, Roddy Roddy Piper, Nikolai Volkov, Jimmy Hart, and Hillbilly Jim. I don't know who you would have chosen to win that award, but for the original Slammys, the award went to the Junkyard Dog. And when I found that sound clip for that commercial that aired on WWF TV at that time for fans to vote on who you wanted to select... They were showing clips of everybody performing. And I noticed that when they showed the Junkyard Dog, in the background, you see the AB, American Bandstand. And I'm saying, wait a minute. I don't remember Junkyard Dog ever being on American Bandstand. So I did some research and I found, yes, Junkyard Dog not only performed Grab Them Cakes at American Bandstand, But it was very interesting as to who was in attendance at that time as well. So kudos to Dick Clark Productions, who does post clips on YouTube of moments in American Bandstand history, because they actually posted this interview segment that took place right after the performance. I think you'll get a kick out of this. We're going hopping, we're going hopping today When things are popping, a Philadelphia way We're going to drop it on all the music they play On the bandstand, bandstand Hey, oh, it's nice to see you again, welcome 
Does this mean you're not going to be in the ring anymore? Oh, no, I got to go. I got to go tonight to Boston. You're, you're wrestling tonight? Oh, tonight, yeah, in Boston. I mean, suppose this album becomes a smash hit. What will happen to your wrestling career? Well, let's have to do both. I got the people in the wrestling. I got the people outside the wrestling cheering me on. I got the people in the crowd when I'm singing cheering me on, so we're all going to do it together. Notice he's not breathing heavily. You're huffing and puffing. You're working out. And he might be in a little better shape than you are physically, my dear. How are you? I'm great. I'm really good. Is this going to be a permanent partnership? Well, you never know. I mean, this is just amazing. This is like rock and roll and wrestling all in one. You have made a motion backwards. Let's introduce these people. How about this gentleman right over here? Okay. C come over here with me, otherwise okay. we'll get him in trouble. This fellow I've seen before on numerous yes. occasions. Everybody knows Rick Derringer. Mr. Rick Derringer, welcome, sir. Nice to have you. Did they, did anybody give you trouble at that recording session? Actually, there was uh, one little problem. Before the album was finished, I uh, was on Piper's Pit to talk about it, Roddy Piper's yeah, show. Oh, lovely man. And, Ooh. That's right. He brought it to my attention that we hadn't asked him yet. And uh, him and King Kong Bundy started a petition for us to include all of... Uh, the nastier The side. good guys and the bad guys. Right. You're, you're, you're taking your life in your hands. The lady, uh, let's go to the drummer in the back. We'll get that. Okay, the rock and roll legend himself, Carmine Apice. Carmine, you? welcome back. It's been a long time since Vanilla Fudge. Are you going into the ring now? Uh, not yet. <laughs> and the lady here, please. Okay, we have producer and bass player on this particular tune, Mona Flambe. Mona, we welcome you. Was Captain Lou Albano there? Because I hear strange things about him. Was he in attendance? Well, yes, he was. Uh, he was the, and and uh, I felt that Captain Lou was really a genius because he programmed the fair ride, and I thought that was quite quite. He, cool. he behaved himself. Yes, he did. He's brilliant. All right, and lastly. Last but not least, the man who put this all together, Mr. Dave Wolf. Dave, why? Welcome. Why? Why the kings of wrestling and music together? What earthly sense does this make? I, I think it's. Uh, the greatest fun we've had in a long time. Rock and wrestling is a wild concept, and the dog is living proof that this is a happening thing. What do you think? You, you stand there. <laughs> Thank you, so very much. On a on a on a semi-serious note, were you always an athlete? Yes, I was. I, you know, I played uh, high school football in, back in North Carolina, Waysboro, North Carolina. Also, I went to Fayetteville State University, got my master's in uh, psychology. And I play a little pro football, so one thing leads to another. Dog, I hope your singing career goes really well. Vicki Sue, you're making an album on your own, too? Yes, I'm working on a new album right now. Thank you ever so much. Thank you, good people. Now, look, it was no secret at that time, Cindy Lauper was playing a character, Mona Flambe. And you'd be surprised how many times she appeared as Mona Flambe in different environments. And she would disguise herself and disguise her voice with a real deep southern accent, but it was pretty funny to see Dick Clark, you know, interviewing everybody, you know, performing Grab Them Cakes. And Cindy Lauper was there as Mona Flambe. Rick Derringer, you know his musical history associated with wrestling. He was there. Dave Wolf was there. Junkyard Dog. Drummer, I can't remember his name. I know he's a famous drummer. You know, 99% of you out there may have never heard the group he was involved in, but I, I will look it up and let everybody know. Uh, and also the female performer of Grab Them Cakes. Now, I'm not going to lie. I don't remember ever researching who was the singer of Grab Them Cakes. I don't know if it's because I didn't like the song too much at that time, or maybe I just forgot, but the female performer of that song is Vicki Sue Robinson. Now, for anybody out there that 
loved or, or is into classic disco, or maybe you go to weddings and you hit classic disco, you know who Vicki Sue Robinson is. But for those that may not know who she is, and yes, I will admit this song is in my iPod, but just to give you an idea how big Vicki Sue Robinson was in the disco world, this was her most famous song from 1976. Yeah, that Vicky Sue Robinson actually performed Grab Them Cakes. And not only that, I'll give you one step further, and I'm actually going to buy this to keep it just as a little collectible. Epic Records, which is a very famous music company, didn't Epic uh, put out Michael Jackson around 83, 82, around that time? So Epic was no bullshit music company at that time. Epic Records put out Grab Them Cakes as its own 45. And if you want to go... Check it out and see for yourself. Go to discogs.com, type in Grab Them Cakes. You will see that it actually had its own release, its own album cover art, and Epic Records put that out as a 45. Now, I noticed on the record it says promotional not for sale. I don't know why Epic Records would come out with a promotional not for sale. You know what I mean? So, But um, I am grabbing one of those records just to keep as a unique collectible in my collection. I do have a record player and I can play it, but what am I going to hear? I'm going to hear the same song, but anybody that's into old dance music, you may have heard the name Shep Pettibone here in New York. He used to mix a lot of songs for 98.7 kiss FM. Shep Pettibone was actually uh, working behind the scenes and did a little bit of mixing for this song too. So very, very interesting stuff that I never knew about that song, Grab Them Cakes. So there you go. 1992, WCW presents Super Brawl 2. Two noteworthy items coming out of that. First, this was Jesse Ventura's first pay-per-view appearance in wrestling and for WCW since uh, appearing at SummerSlam 1990 for WWF. So it had been quite some time. Also on this card, Sting defeated Lex Luger to win the WCW World Heavyweight title. Lex Luger, at the time, this was his last match because he decided he was going to go to WWF. Now, here's the interesting thing. At that time, Lex Luger had a no-compete clause in his contract. Lex Luger and Vince McMahon figured out a way to get around that. Lex Luger said that he was planning on retiring from in-ring competition because that's what the no-compete clause was. Couldn't compete in wrestling for anyone else. He had that no-compete clause. But instead, Vince was developing the World Bodybuilding Federation, the WBF. So by Vince signing Lex Luger to appear for the World Bodybuilding Federation, it did not affect the no-compete clause. But unfortunately, at that time, Lex Luger was injured in a motorcycle accident. And by the time he recovered from that accident where he could actually focus on bodybuilding again, the WBF folded and his no-compete was done with WCW. So he returned to WWF in early 1993 as a wrestler. But that's how the whole deal went down for uh, Lex Luger at that time. 
1993, Steve Austin and Brian Pillman defeated Ricky Steamboat and Shane Douglas to win the WCW World Tag Titles. A lot of people always remember the Hollywood Blondes, one of my favorite tag teams of the early 90s. I think what some may not realize is that that's their only tag team title run. They only won the tag titles once. And uh, it happened this week, back in 1993. 1997, Monday Night Raw, Berlin, Germany. And I remember this was one of the lowest rated episodes of Raw for all time. And if you go back and look at that card, it wasn't a bad card. But fans still were not that interested in a lot of the uh, wrestlers that were appearing. But on this night, the British Bulldog defeated Owen Hart to become the first ever European champion. The tournament took place uh, for an entire week. Some of the others in the tournament, Flash Funk, Bret Hart, Rocky Maivia, Mankind, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, Vader. And this was also, during this taping, the final episode of WWF Superstars of Wrestling. After this week, it became a highlight show for the most part until it ended officially in 2001. And for those who are into trivia, the last ever Superstars match to air solely on WWF Superstars was Ahmed Johnson defeating Leaf Cassidy. 1997, the same year, WCW held Monday Nitro from the Omni in Atlanta. The reason why I mention this is because the Omni was closing its doors. This was the last ever WCW event to take place there. Later on in 1997, the Omni would be demolished. 1998, an event that I remember vividly. I can't believe it's been that long. ECW presented Living Dangerously. On that card, Bam Bam Bigelow defeated Taz to win the ECW World Television title. That match is always most known for the moment that took place in the ring. Taz had Bam Bam Bigelow locked in the Taz mission in the middle of the ring. But Bam Bam Bigelow fell backwards to break the hold, and he legit broke the wooden ring floor under the canvas. A lot of people thought that that was staged, but from what I remember and what I've read over the years, not only did that spot was not planned, but Taz legitimately got knocked out. The back of his head hit the the side of the ring support, and when you see Bigelow pulling Taz out of the hole, I mean, Taz is just like, like dead weight. He was legitimately knocked out. So Bam Bam pulled him out of the hole, pinned him, and got the the title. This week also, in 1998, Mike Tyson joined D-Generation X. I'm sure a lot of you remember this. I mean, we talked in a couple of recent weeks where they had the confrontation of Mike Tyson and Steve Austin in the ring. You ruined it! You ruined it! You ruined it! You ruined it! Well, this week in 1998... They did the segment where D-Generation X was kind of teasing Mike Tyson in the middle of the ring, and they ripped his shirt off to reveal a D-Generation X shirt underneath it. Vince is outside the ring, all pissed off, and we thought that Mike Tyson joined D-Generation X. And that's why it was a little confusing at WrestleMania where Mike Tyson was, you know, right down the middle, you know, in the match with Shawn Michaels versus Steve Austin, but hey, it was still fun TV at the time, and that took place in 98. We fast forward to the year 2000. Chris Candido defeated Damian Steele uh, to win the XPW World Heavyweight Championship. Uh, Unfortunately, Chris Candido had to vacate the title 
because WCW signed Candido three weeks later to a contract. And XBW at the time were not doing events, you know, every single week. So uh, they couldn't do an event in time where he can actually drop the belt and then go to WCW. That same week on Monday Nitro, (laughs) a couple of interesting things happened this week as I'm looking at it. First off, three count became the WCW hardcore champion. All three members, hardcore champion. How this happened? It was a three-on-one match for the hardcore title, Brian Knobs versus three count. It was a table spot. All three members of three count climbed on top of Knobs and pinned them. So WCW decided that all three were the champion. <laughs> I look at 2000, man, there was a lot of wrestle crap this night. Uh, on the same episode of Monday Nitro, Hulk Hogan cut a promo on Ric Flair. Now, anybody that follows Botchamania, this is legendary. Anybody that follows Wrestle Crap, this is legendary. Um, Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair, hey, this is the year 2000. They were feuding since, what, the early 90s when Ric Flair went to WWE? And even before that, people were always trying to compare who's the better champion, Hogan or Flair, Flair or Hogan, blah, 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 blah. So now this is 2000, a year before WCW goes out of business. Hulk Hogan is back doing the red and yellow, and he's trying to hype up his feud at the time with Ric Flair. So now you got an idea of what's going on. A year before WCW goes out of business, Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair, about nine years into their, you know, feuding on and off, going through all the motions, and they're trying to figure out a way to generate a lot of interest in another Hulk Hogan versus Ric Flair match. So Hulk Hogan cuts the first of two promos, and I have both of them for your listening pleasure. And people have always associated this with WrestleCrap and Botchamania over the years because you got to listen to the words closely. Uh, Yes, there's a lot of homoerotic comments made, especially in the second promo, but it was just the idea behind this match. Here you go, Hulk Hogan hyping up the Yappa Pie. <laughs> the Yappa Pie Indian strap match. Yappa Pie. Yappa Pie. And, you know, I'll, I'll explain a little tidbit on Yappa Pie after uh, you check these out. Yappa Pie. Yappa Pie. Brother. You know something, Ric Flair? After the sacrifice in Sacramento, brother. I realized how far we've taken this thing, brother. As I was in that slow rolling coffin on the way to the emergency room, as I waited for each bated breath coming out of Jimmy Hart's body that I thought might be his last, I glazed down into his eyes, Ric Flair. Yes, Jimmy Hart was muttering, was stammering, trying to get the words out. I finally understood one word coming out of his mouth. Ric Flair. The steel cage wasn't the answer, brother, to our problems. The thousands of Hulkamaniacs that I had to strap back to keep off your back, Jack, wasn't the answer to the problems. But when I heard Jimmy Hart on the way to the emergency room in that slow rolling coffin mutter the words, Yappa Pie, brother, I knew the answer to the problem, Ric Flair. The Yappa Pie Indian strap match, Jack. That's what Jimmy Hart was calling for, brother. And now that I know, with the powers to be watching my back, I can box you in contractually. I can corner you in, brother. And if we are bonded together with the leather man, if we are bonded together with no one in our way, 
as I strap that flesh, as your flesh bubbles and burns over your whole body, you will understand, my man, what the Yapapai mean by the Indian strap match flare. I'm calling your bluff, man. I'm the greatest wrestler of all times. And when I strap my wrist to yours, brother, the transformation as my eyes roll in the back of my head, as the smoke comes out of my nose, the leather will be your last lifeline to the professional wrestling world, brother. I will beat you within an inch of your life and in the Yapapai Indian strap match, Ric Flair. I will prove that you will bow down to me for an eternity, brother. All right, ladies and First things first. I want to let Dr. Proper know, I want to let Dr. Unger know, and Dr. Hughes know that the release forms have been signed. You guys are not responsible for the last couple fractures in the forearm, brother. The main priority in the Yapapai Indian strap match is to have flexibility of the wrist that you're strapped to your opponent with, brother. Because in the Yapapai Indian strap match, when you're in the four corners of the battle zone, the main priority is, is to get the body in the proper position for the strapation dudes. When I get Ric Flair right where I want him, when I get him out of wind, sucking air, sweating from head to toe, I will call to the strap master Jimmy Hart on ringside. And I will say, Jimmy Hart at ringside, give me Yapapai Indian punishment strap number one as I strap your body Ric Flair as you scream to the heavens for mercy as I see your skin start to bubble off your body you will drop your knees and you will say please Mr. Hogan please I can't take it anymore please I'm sorry I crossed the line and as I hear you beg for mercy, Ric Flair, that's when I'll call to the strap master, Jimmy Hart, for Yapapai Indian strappage number two. That's when the heavier belts will come out. That's when I will strap your skin and the flesh will bubble. That's when the flesh will start to peel from your hide. And as I see the raw pink meat on your back, brother. I'm gonna take it to another level. I will transform from Hulk to Hollywood. I will double strap you with both fists and you will scream to the heavens, please Hollywood, don't hurt me anymore and I will never stop. You know, after I was reminded of the Yapapai, I decided to do some research to see the Yapapai Indians, the Yapapai strap. And all I could find is WrestleCrap Hulk Hogan. The closest I could find to any Indian tribe with any name similar was the Yavapai Prescott Indians, Y-A-V-A-P-A-I. You know, Hogan's was Y-A-P-A-P-I. So I don't know if maybe he was originally trying to use the Yavapai Indian strap match, but it was the Yavapai. Yavapai. So there you go. If that's bad, well, this is was not really you know, wrestle crap at the time, but it is something that happened the following night. Uh, no Way Out took place this week also in 2000. Triple H defeated Cactus Jack in Hell in a Cell match to retain the WWF title. Because of his loss, Cactus Jack was forced to retire. 
I remember them next night on Monday Night Raw, they did a nice little video montage. But three weeks later, Linda McMahon brought Mick Foley back in a four-way elimination title match for WrestleMania 2000. I think he was brought in as Mick Foley. He wasn't Cactus Jack anymore. But let me tell you something. You know, I, I know I played recently Bret Hart saying, you know, what has Triple H ever had a great match? And you've had some people make remarks like that over the years. You know, I'm not a big Triple H fan. And I hated the Triple H show back in the early 2000s. That's really what I used to call it, the Triple H show. But you go watch this Hell in a Cell match again, Triple H versus Cactus Jack. Yes, a lot of it was Cactus Jack's work, but Triple H really did put on an awesome performance in this match. And even Meltzer, you know, I read over the years that Meltzer gave this match like four and a half stars. Think about that. Cactus Jack versus Triple H, you know, that highly rated amongst wrestling fans. It's definitely worth a look. So now the following night on Raw, as I said, you know, they did the tribute to Mick Foley. But that same night, there was a match involving Mark Henry and Crash Holly. They were fighting for the WWF hardcore title. So now just think about this night. We have three count winning the hardcore title. You got Hogan with the Yappa Pie, brother. You have now Mark Henry and Crash Holly fighting for the hardcore title. Mae Young is outside the ring. And remember, this was right in the middle of the storyline where we thought Mae Young and Mark Henry were having sexual relations and Mae Young was pregnant. So during the match, Mae Young wants to do a splash onto Crash Holly. So Mark Henry lets her. You know, she's pregnant in storyline. So Mark Henry lets her do a splash. Why not? I mean, <laughs> yeah, what could possibly happen? Well, right after that, Mae Young, God rest her soul, God bless her, being that old at the time. She's screaming in pain. The officials come out. I remember Briscoe and Patterson, Fabulous Moolah, they were all really concerned. They were going to rush her to the hospital. They announced that she is in labor. She is in labor. But because whatever is going to be given birth is so close to happening, it's not enough time to go to the hospital. So instead, we have cameras backstage, and here's the last three minutes of Mae Young in labor, which led to... You know. Trash can over here. Come on, relax, man. Relax. Get the trash can. Get the trash can and go over here. Get on the way. Come on, man. Get down. Relax. 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 Come on. You need to get twins. I know. Lay it down. You got to have that baby. Come on. Come on. Relax. Relax. I was having this baby until I have a cigar. A cigar? I need a cigar. Get a cigar. Get a cigar.
wrestling fans that are going to ask me what was my original reaction when i saw that same reaction that a lot of people had that was fucking stupid it was not good at all i mean in a way we were thankful that the whole may young pregnancy storyline was over but um you know the the funny thing is, is if you actually watch the video you hear somebody doing sound effects in the background like they're taking a balloon and they're rubbing the balloon to make it sound like you know it's something is pushing against plastic you even hear a couple of fart sounds earlier in the skit you have may young smoking a cigar and matt fabulous Mueller with a couple of innuendos take that thing out of your mouth <laughs> It was just, I don't know, it was just weird. It was hokey weird, but we were thankful that that storyline was finally over. And if you thought that turned people off as far as watching TV, that night, Raw versus Nitro, Nitro got a 2.1, uh, and that was their lowest rating since May of 1996. And remember, this is 2000. What was Raw's rating that night? A 6.5. Unbelievable. That same week, ECW, Unfortunately, Rob Van Dam was forced to vacate the ECW World Television Championship because he broke his ankle. He had the title for 700 days. It reminds you of Oscar a little bit, right? RVD had the belt 700 days, had to relinquish it because he got injured, and they ended up uh, doing a little bit of a tournament where Rhino defeated Super Crazy for the title uh, about a week later. So there you go. 2001. Big Show defeated S.A. Rios to win the Hardcore Championship. reason why I bring up this match is I always remember the ending, the pin, and I'm just surprised we haven't seen this done again since then, and maybe it has, and I'm just not remembering it. But how Big Show pinned S.A. Rios, he picked him up. He's got him in his arms. He pushes him up against the wall in the air, about five and a half feet off the ground, and he's just holding S.A. Rios against the wall, and the referee counted one, two, three. So, yes, this was the 24-7 rule at the time and all that other shit, but so I thought it was a really uh, cool visual to have Big Show pin S.A. Rio sideways. Again, I, I don't know if we've seen it since then, but I, you know, still I thought it was pretty cool. That same night on Raw, Stephanie McMahon had a segment with Trish Stratus where she just absolutely humiliated her, like with like an oatmeal slop bucket and stuff like that, and... 
you know, you look at Stephanie's comments today and about women and stuff. And yeah, this was storyline at the time. I mean, you know, it was edible foods, you know, so it's not like she really like filled her, you know, rubbed all crap all over her body, but it was humiliating segments at that time, but it was all supposed to help Trish Stratus even more in her career that same week. And I brought up the prelude to this last week. Stacy Carter is released from WWF. And as a result, Jerry Lawler quits from WWF this week back in 2001. Now, when you look at interviews over the years from Ivory and others, it comes across that Stacy Carter was not that liked behind the scenes with WWE. Jerry Lawler was married to Stacy Carter at the time. It was Jerry Lawler who really was responsible in having Stacy Carter brought into WWF. You know, she had that one moment where she was topless on a, a WWF TV, which we all remember. I mean, you know, the bubble wrap and May Young and the saggy tits. I'm sure you all remember that stuff. But um, it was just odd timing because they had just had that match the week before, which I had talked about with Stevie Richards defeated Jerry Lawler, and as a result, Stacey Carter was forced to join the right to censor. So on Monday Night Raw this week in 2001, Stacey Carter comes out wearing a burlap bag, and, you know, they start the storyline where she has to join right to censor. And um, two days later, I believe, she's released. So they went from one storyline to release her literally two days later. Now, I have not read any specific incidents within that 48-hour period where WWF just decided, look, that's it, we're done. But I think it was just the overall um, resume of Stacey Carter. If you look back, I mean, they really tried to do some big storylines. Remember when she was dressed up like China? I mean, she wasn't awful, but you kind of, I mean, the running joke at the time, because the internet was around in 01, and the kind of the running joke at the time was that she's getting pushed this hard because Jerry Lawler's married to her. That's really how it felt. And when WWF released Stacey Carter, Jerry Lawler made a statement online saying that he uh, was going to be supportive of his wife, and he uh, quit as well, that the release was a total surprise without any provocation whatsoever. And again, like I said, I don't recall any incidents taking place in that 48 hours. But we learned a few months later that Jerry Lawler and Stacey Carter would file for divorce. So they they had some serious relationship issues going on at the time. And I guess Jerry Lawler, to really show support for his wife and try to keep the marriage together and maybe focus on the marriage and stay outside of wrestling a little bit, um, he thought that this was the best thing to save his marriage. Obviously, it didn't. And I remember what I remember most at that time is that Jerry Lawler had a website. I don't know if it's still in, still in existence, but I think it was kinglawler.com. And I remember, like, he had a lot of drawings on there, a lot of his artwork, and he had some autographs for sale. And I remember that he used to be a little bit interactive at that time. Like, he would write things online, make little comments, blogs. He would respond to people. And we all noticed, like, wow, like, he never really devoted any time towards fans online ever before. And sure, his schedule was hectic and busy leading up to that point. And yes, Jerry Lola did some appearances in wrestling outside of WWF, you know, in the months late, you know, later on. But Jerry Lola all of a sudden was a little accessible online with fans. And then sure enough, he would return 
uh, to the WWF nine months later. And as soon as he returned, I mean, I remember people like, wow, he's back and he forgot about his fans. I mean, he just really just totally, you know, didn't do anything with KingLola.com after that. So just something I remember. I mean, I didn't interact with him in any way, but I remember fans taking real notice of that. So 2001 also saw the ending of the Women of Wrestling promotion. It was originally founded by David McLean, the man behind Glow, Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling. And I still remember this, and I talked about it in a recent episode, that I still got the wrestling themes of every member of WOW from 2001. You know, Patty Pep, Patty Pep. I mean, all the things, what I remember from the theme songs, and I, they're staring in an old hard drive somewhere, but the theme songs are only like 45 seconds long. You might have had one that broke a minute, if you're lucky, but they were just very, very, very quick songs. Some of them I thought were, were creative, and I got to be honest with you, some of them were just so simple and corny simple, but it fit the wrestlers perfectly for women of wrestling. And, you know, you see some of the theme songs in WWE this day, and you kind of say to yourself, wow, what a fucking horrible generic theme song that doesn't seem to reflect the personality at all. And look, there are wrestlers in WWE that have great theme songs that match their personality, but there are quite a few that don't. And um, that's one thing I remember about women of wrestling. But, you know, they had some TV at the time, and then they had that Unleashed pay-per-view, which we talked about last month. Uh, did horrendous as far as a pay-per-view buy rate. Um, there was about 9,000 fans in attendance. A lot of them were comped, and the buy rate was slightly higher than 5,000. They never in a million years ever expected such a piss-poor buy rate, especially, you got to remember, this is right smack where WWF is, is, is at its peak. 2001, WCW was still in business albeit for not too much longer. ECW was still in business, albeit for not too much longer. And the pay-per-view buy rates have been insane for wrestling. And they only did about 5,000 buys, and it was just they couldn't recover from it. So the promotion folded this week in 2001. 2002, we've talked about how this was the time that Eddie Guerrero was released from WWE for a short period of time due to substance issues. And here locally in New York, we had the privilege, thanks to Jack Sabbath and even Mass Maniac for letting him use his license, that we got to enjoy seeing Eddie Guerrero wrestle for an indie show here against Low Key in 2002. It was kind of, uh, it's kind of um, surreal to see Eddie Guerrero wrestling in front of, you know, 500 fans, 600 fans where he was in ECW and WCW and WWF, then the Radicals and, you know, everything else. And in 2002, here he is in the indie market. He was at his peak, in our opinion. But not only did he wrestle here in the Northeast, but he wrestled for a short, short period of time for IWA Mid-South. And this week in 2002, IWA Mid-South held two events. Eddie Guerrero was featured on both. Eddie Guerrero won the heavyweight title this weekend, and he lost the heavyweight title this weekend. The cool thing about it is there is footage of this online if you want to go check it out. First, they had an event called Spring Heat 2002. Eddie Guerrero defeated CM Punk and Rey Mysterio in a three-way to win the IWA Mid-South World title. Following night, Eddie Guerrero lost one-on-one to CM Punk. CM Punk uh, won the IWA Mid-South title. So Eddie Guerrero held the title for one day. But still, at that time, it was pretty cool 
to here. I mean, Eddie wrestling for Northeast, wrestling for IWA Mid-South. He actually was uh, kept a little bit busy, and then he would obviously come back to WWE pretty quickly. So even though this was not much of a match, I think newer fans that may not even be aware that this happened way back when, but it was this week in 2003 on SmackDown, we had Brock Lesnar defeating Paul Heyman inside a steel cage. Yes, like I said, wasn't much of a match. If you want to see the details, go on the WWE Network. Go seek out this week, 2003. We fast forward to 2006. Randy Orton defeats Super Crazy. No big deal, right? People have made it a big deal because this night in 2006 at the SmackDown tapings, Randy Orton came out to a different song, and it was only for one night only. And you could see it on a WWE Network. He actually came out to CM Punk song. This Fire Burns by Killswitch Engage. At the time, WWE was promoting their new album, Reckless Intent. And they decided to have Randy Orton come out to This Fire Burns. This was before the song was given to CM Punk, only a couple of months later. But for people that are big-time CM Punk fans that remember Killswitch Engage's song, it's pretty interesting to watch SmackDown and see Randy Orton coming out to that song. So there you go. That same week on Monday Night Raw, a couple of things happened. First off, not going to play the audio because, you know, the visual obviously is better. I mean, the audio promos weren't all that spectacular, but they did a storyline. This was right smack where they teased that Marty Jannetty was going to return to WWF. Any longtime listener remembers with Marty Jannetty, we caught him in a massive lie as far as his legal issues and not being able to travel certain areas. And he actually confronted us online, calling us a liar, and then we proved it on the Minority Report. That was 2006. I still remember that. And I still got some of the audio when we actually caught him. So getting back to the segment that night, it was Monday Night Raw. Shawn Michaels, you know, backstage promo with Marty Jannetty. Marty Jannetty's desperate to get a job at WWE. Vince basically tells Marty, join my Kiss My Ass Club. You'll have a job. So Marty is telling Shawn Michaels, stay out of it, stay out of it. Don't get involved, blah, 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 blah. I need this. I'm desperate, yada, yada, yada. So the ending of Raw, Vince comes out, Marty Jannetty. Marty Jannetty thinks he has to kiss Vince's ass, but instead Vince has a different plan. Brings out Chris Masters. Tells Marty Jannetty, if you could be the first person to ever break out of the Master Lock Challenge, you will be hired by WWE. So, sure enough, Chris Masters locks the Master Lock on. Marty Jannetty can't get out of it. You hear Vince on the mic, break his neck. He breaking his neck. Break his neck. Shawn Michaels comes out to for the save. He ends up getting chair bashed by, I believe, Shane McMahon. This leads to Vince McMahon pulling his ass, his pants down, being bare-assed in the middle of the ring, and once again, he has someone join his Kiss My Ass Club. This time, it is Shawn Michaels, and Shawn Michaels is playing that he is unconscious, laid out from the chair shot, and Vince is telling Shane, you know, make him kiss my ass. And he kissed his ass. So that's the screenshot for this week's episode. So there you go. Um, that same night on Raw, little back and forth promo between John Cena and Triple H. At the time, John Cena was champion and Triple H was challenger. Now, keep in mind, remember when John Cena was injured and he made the surprise return in 2008. 
The crowd popped big for it. There's no denying it. The crowd was really enjoying uh, John Cena's surprise return in 08. Don't know if it's people pop more because of the surprise element or the fact that John Cena was back in the ring. But just to remind everyone how uh, uh, John Cena was treated by fans way back when. Remember, this is after Thugonomics for the most part. and um, But you could hear the crowd reaction. This is Triple H's promo on John Cena that night, which is basically hyping up their match at WrestleMania. John Cena! The champ! John, before you answer Coach's question, I want you to think about what he just told you. Now, I, I know that you don't need Coach to tell you how great I am. But, but please, please, please tell me that you weren't just about to tell the whole world <laughs> that you can beat me. You gonna come at me like that, man? Look here, it's like this. I've been here four years. Now I know that four years ago when I walked my ass through that door, you probably took a look at me and said, that jack-off won't last two weeks. Well, I did. Lasted long enough to get me a main event shot in WrestleMania 22. against the King of Kings, Triple H, for the WWE Championship. I'll be honest with you, man. I don't have your resume. <laughs> like these people, with you, apparently, I don't have your respect. But going into WrestleMania, there's one thing that I got that you don't. I got this. Well, well excuse me if I'm not afraid of the guy whose one big move is pumping up his Reeboks. You know what? You are the champ. You're the champ. And you know, I, I heard Mick Foley and, and Edge out here earlier talking about transitional champions. You know what that is, John, a transitional champion? A transitional champion is a guy that happens to be in the right place at the right time and happens to get lucky enough to win a title. The whole time, the whole world knows 
It's just a matter of, of moments, a, a matter of time before that championship belt goes back around the waist of the man who truly deserves to wear it. That, that, John, is called a transitional champion. And that, my friend, is all that you are. Now, don't get me wrong, don't get me wrong. I don't want anybody to think that I don't think John Cena is tough. Hell, I know you're tough. I have seen you take some really badass kickings and you just keep getting up and getting up and getting up. You never quit. You're like uh, Rocky Balboa in the movies. You know what I'm saying? You got all this passion and pride and heart and desire and dedication. You happen to not be a very good wrestler. But, but in the movies, in the movies, Rocky Balboa always finds a way to win. But you know what? This isn't the movies, John. This is real life. And in real life, you can't beat the bad guy. A couple of things from Triple H's promo. First off, I kind of disagree with him about the transitional champion comment because first off, to me, a transitional champion is when you want to transition the title from, and I hate using these terms, but it's the best way I could describe it, from one baby face to another. And traditional ways, you would have a heel win the title in order to lose it to a baby face. Like you rarely had a baby face lose a title to another baby face. And yes, there have been moments over the years, Hogan, Warrior, and others, but for the most part, you want to take the title off of someone else and you can't directly put it on the person you want to give it to. So you put somebody in the middle for a temporary short period of time to, to transition that title from this person to this person, you know, and, and there's been a lot of examples over the years. The second thing is, is, uh, could you do that in this day and age where everybody's examining every little comment and every little detail on social media, you know, when triple H at the end, this isn't the movies. Uh, this is real life. Uh, no, it is the movies. Uh, so, but there you go. But everybody always remembers that promo because he said that John Cena is not a very good wrestler. And I have said this over the years. Uh, Hulk Hogan, people said, was never a great wrestler. But if you see him perform in Japan, he actually holds his own. John Cena, a lot of people say he's not a very good wrestler. But you see him in recent matches with AJ Styles, the guy could hold his own. You know, sometimes you have a certain gimmick and you want a certain longevity in the ring. You keep a certain set of moves that work, that get over with the crowd, and you stick to that routine. So, you know, there you go. 2007, Lady Puma makes her pro wrestling debut, defeating Perla Negra at the uh, LLF in Monterrey, Nueva Leon, Mexico. In 2008, the WWE Cruiserweight Championship was officially retired. And who was the last ever? Cruiserweight champion, Hornswoggle. And I remember very recently when people were bitching and complaining that Enzo was the 205 Live champion and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, well, you know what? 
where were all of you bitching and complaining when Hornswoggle was the Cruiserweight champion? A lot of people were silent. 2009, I always get a kick out of this. Mr. T did an interview at that time with the UK Mirror, and he revealed that time that he was uh, invited to be inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame, and he turned it down, and his reason was because Pete Rose was put in before him. I kid you not. Well, we know five years later, Mr. T went into the WWE Hall of Fame, and he loved his mother very much. And look, I can't knock anybody for loving their mother, but that promo was just odd. It was very odd. I don't know what it was, but it was just an odd promo on Mr. T. One of the more forgetful ones, and it's kind of sad to say that. Uh, 2010, Hulk Hogan is interviewed here in New York for the Jim Kerr Rock and Wrestling, Rock and Roll, excuse me, Rock and Wrestling, Rock and Roll Morning Show. He revealed RVD was signed to a TNA contract, He would debut four days later on Monday Night Impact, and RVD would defeat Sting in 12 seconds. 2010, WWE releases Charlie Haas, Gregory Helms, Maria Kanellis, Paul Burchill, and Scott Armstrong. That same week, you had Show Miz, Big Show, and The Miz defeating D-Generation X, Shawn Michaels, and Triple H to retain the tag titles. Why am I bringing up this match? This tag team match with Michaels and Triple H would be the last time that they would team together on TV. They competed on a house show about 10 days later, but after that, they would never team up again. So that night in 2010 on Monday Night Raw was the last time we saw D-Generation X team up as a tag team. That same week, some unfortunate happenings with Ric Flair. He was married at the time to, to a woman by the name of Jacqueline Beams, and this week of 2010, there was a 911 call, which was played on TMZ. It is still on there. I was going to play it, but it's kind of tacky. If you want to listen to it, you could hear it online. Ric Flair and his wife at the time were drinking heavily. They got into an argument. The uh, allegation is that when they got home, uh, Jackie uh, Beams brought up Ric Flair's constant drinking, slapped him. He ran around the house, started packing in a briefcase, saying he was going to move out. She punched and kicked him, tripped over a suitcase, hit his head on a dresser drawer, busted open. You hear his Jackie Beams' daughter telling 911 that he's bleeding from the head and blah, 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 blah. And it ended up that she was, uh, the, the, the wife was arrested and charged with assault. Ric Flair was never arrested or charged at that time. You know, there was some other you know tidbits from this incident that, was revealed later on, but it pretty much coincides with what we know about Ric Flair and his recent years of drinking. You know, obviously he's not drinking anymore, thank God, and uh, we he's still with us, but back in 2010, it was not pleasant, not at all. And it sucked also because it was this week that we learned that Umaga's cause of death was to an, due to an accidental overdose. Now, I know some people will always say, you know, how is an overdose accidental? You don't intend on killing yourself, and you don't intend on thinking that you're overdosing on something. But the bottom line is they found in the system Vicodin, Somas, and Valiums. You take those three and you take uh, a good amount of it, you could accidentally kill yourself instead. 2010, Johnny Curtis, who you now know as Fandango, wins NXT. Brodus Clay, a.k.a. Tyrants, finishes second. Now, we go to 2011 and 2012, and they involve The Rock and John Cena. 
Now, got to keep in mind, this feud lasted a couple of years. And this is right around the time where you start building for WrestleMania. So first off, we go to 2011. Two weeks ago on This Week in Wrestling History, I played the clip of The Rock announcing he's going to host WrestleMania. He confronts John Cena, how we went from Austin 316 to The Rock to, you can't see me, and the Fruity Pebbles comment, shit like that. Last week on This Week in Wrestling History, I played John Cena's response, which was him going back to Thugonomics and old school rap. So this week, The Rock is featured once again, responding to John Cena, rapping about him the week before. And I'll just paint the picture in case you forgot it. The Rock is home uh, in California at his residence. He's got a, a beautiful trophy case in the background showing all of his title belts. And this was The Rock's response to John Cena. Now, I trimmed it down a couple of minutes only because if you notice in recent years, WWE has to do these 20 to 30 minute promos to like really try to get something big time over. And look, The Rock is entertaining, so I'm sure we don't mind 20 minute promos. But that's the one big difference I noticed with The Rock over the last seven, eight years compared to The Rock, you know, back in during the Attitude Era. You know, he would cut big time promos and do long segments also, but I don't know if they would go 20, 30 minutes every single time. But nonetheless, let's first focus on 2011, The Rock's response to John Cena's rap from last week. If you smell what The Rock is Yo, 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 check it, check it, check it, yeah. You can't see me. You can't see me. I'm about to spit something stupid, yeah, yeah. Can't see me. The Rock is rapping. He's totally gone soft. So now he needs to take this crap off. the champion of the people, the energy of the people, and The Rock is electrifying every inch of the 14,000 strong in the HSBC arena, which can only mean one thing, which is finally, The Rock has come back to Buffalo. And it's that electricity that is in the air right now. You can cut it with a knife. The Rock came back to Raw, kicked down your door, and addressed you like a man. And what do you do in response? You rap to me? You rap to me. You address me in the form of rap. Well, of course you did. 
Because that's how the guy in the purple shirt responds with his dog tag chains and his jeans shorts. Yeah, yeah. Hustle, loyalty, respect. Yeah, thugonomics. Yeah. I thought it was funny. It was real funny. Let me remind you and the world how this whole thing started. It all started with you, John Cena, publicly running your mouth about me, calling me a liar when I say I love the WWE. You said don't jerk you or the fans around by saying I love this business and not coming back. John, by saying that, you insulted me and my family. Let me tell you something. My love for the WWE is endless. I grew up in the WWE. I was born into the WWE. My blood is the WWE. My grandfather, the late great High Chief Peter Maivia. My father, former WWE Tag Team Champion Rocky Johnson. Both Hall of Famers who I inducted. I am standing in my house. This is my collection of WWE Championship titles that I proudly display. I didn't show love. Because I accomplished my goals in the WWE and I wanted to achieve more. I knew that if I made it in Hollywood, outside of the WWE, then that meant one important thing. That I just opened the door for the WWE. Helped open the door for the entire WWE locker room that's there tonight. I helped open the door, John Cena, for you. Paved the way for you. And what do you do? You publicly insult and knock the people's champion. Well, John Cena, now there are consequences you're going to pay for running your mouth. Now you've just made an open plea for me to bring it and trust me like no one else on this planet under God's hot sun brings it like the rock. I bring it. Now, you have just opened a door yourself, and on the other side, staring right back at you, is the jabroni beating, pie eating, trail blazing, eyebrow raising. Cena, you say what you want, you reap what you sow, but The Rock will kick your monkey ass from here all the way to Buffalo. The Rock is hosting WrestleMania. 
But more importantly, John Cena, he'll be addressing you sooner than you think. You see, The Rock, he electrifies all over the world. His spirit is everywhere. The people's spirit is everywhere. And it's in that spirit and that electricity that allows the people's champ to raise the people's hand, snap the people's fingers, and electrify Buffalo just like that. <laughs> Buffalo, get ready. Because in a few seconds from right now, you will feel the electricity. Because when The Rock, the people's champ, addresses John Cena like a man face to face, The Rock is never alone. And The Rock means never alone. The Rock, the people's champ, is with the millions. The Rock, the people's champ, is with the millions. It's the rock and the millions. Bringing it to WrestleMania. Bringing it to the world. John Cena. The rock ain't no rapper. And clearly, neither are you. But open your ears and shut your mouth. And listen to this very special gift from the people's champion to you. The Rock is back to scratch a major itch. So enjoy your fruity pebbles, you yabba dabba bitch. The Rock will address you like a man. In these eyes you'll be looking. And in that exact moment, you will smell what The Rock is cooking. So now we fast forward one year later. And this back and forth was interesting. At the end, I always felt that The Rock was legitimately rattled. And this was the night where The Rock came out. You know, you could feel how the PG era had really kicked in with his promos, even though it was still entertaining as fuck. John Cena came out during his promo. They were both in the ring together. And at that time, John Cena confronted The Rock that he had cheat notes written on his hand this was the night and after john cena came out and said what he said and walked to the back you just feel like the rock had no comeback i mean the rock sounded rattled and look when they did the storylines at the time they both agreed let loose let's have fun say what you want let's get this thing over i'm not going to take it personally so they really tried their hardest and it succeeded i mean we enjoyed the rock and cena going at it at the time but this back and forth exchange i thought was interesting it's not their best work you don't have that many memorable sound bites coming out of it, but I figured I'd share with all of you. 2012, The Rock and John Cena having this back and forth on Monday Night Raw. Oh, tr trust me, trust me. We're going to get into some chants all night long. Trust me. Okay. <laughs> okay. 
Now, th now this may come as a shock to a lot of people, to a lot of people, clearly somebody in the back, but I'm not here every single week. I was here, I was here every single week for years and years. That was my job, and I loved it. You see, The Rock, The Rock was born and created here in the WWE. And I, and I also know, I also know, and I know this, this is my truth. If it weren't for the WWE, and were not for all of you, The Rock would never exist. When I came back and said I was back and I was never going away, I meant it. Now, now did it mean that I was that I was going to be back at every single Raw, every night, every SmackDown, every live event. No, that's not what it meant. And that was not what was ever expected. But if someone in the back, and you know who I'm talking to, wants to take that literally, then you go right ahead and you take it literally. Because unlike you, and you know who I'm talking to, I respect the audience's Damn, I love that chant. I mean, really, that's a good one. <laughs> now, now, unlike you, I respect the audience's intelligence because they know, they know that I was born in this business. And they know my heart and my soul is in this business. And they also know that I am standing in the middle of this ring right now in front of the world live for no other reason other than I love the WWE. And I will always be a part of the WWE and the WWE will always be a part of me. John Cena John Cena, you know, for years, I used to think that you were a phony. For years, for years, I thought there was no way that the guy who graduated from private school all of a sudden became the doctor of thugonomics. He was from the streets, yeah, he was from the hood. But then I realized, John, you're not a phony. No, you are that guy. You're that guy who came out here last week and, and you ran me down. Even though I wasn't even in the building, you came out here, John. You're the guy who came out with all that passion and that anger. And you said you had to go through a wave of people just to get through to me. You couldn't talk to me directly. When the truth is, John, you have my cell phone number. 
You've called me before on it. But the, but, but, but the ironic thing is, John, you see, I wouldn't even want to talk to you. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to talk to you on my cell. I don't want to talk to you out in public. I don't want to talk to you about there. And I see you back there, John. I saw you. I see you in catering. I see you eating. Look, I don't want to talk to you. I would much rather slap your lying face with a piece of Kung Pao chicken. See, John, you're not a phony. I don't even think you're a bad guy. But what you are is a Kung Pow bitch. John, John, last week, last week you said something. You said something that landed on me, and it resonated with me, John. It resonated with me. You said that come April 1st, you were going to fight at WrestleMania for all the people in the back who love to be a professional wrestler. That's what you're going to do, John. John, let me tell you something. I grew up in this business of professional wrestling. And I was always taught that there was no one who was ever going to fight for me. The only person who fights for you is you. That's how we learned, that's how we got better. No one fought for me. John, do you think when I was climbing the ladders, clawing, scratching the WWE, that someone was fighting for me? No. You think when I would come out to these arenas as a, as a good guy, as a baby face, just like you, and they would boo me unmercifully, just like you, you think Stone Cold Steve Austin was fighting for me? No. Hell no. You think someone was fighting for Triple H, for Mick Foley, for Randy Macho Man Savage? You'll like this one. Do you think... Do you think that anyone fought for Rowdy Roddy Piper? No, hell no, 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 John, no. No one had to fight for us because we were men. But here's the thing, John, John, you want to fight for them in the back? That's fine. As a matter of fact, I prefer it. Because listen to me, John, listen to me. While you fight for them, I fight for them.
You hear them, John? I fight for them. I fight for the people. The same people who are so sick and tired. Sick and tired of having a Kung Pao bitch shoved down their throat every single night. By the way, Portland right now, trending worldwide, Kung Pao bitch. You see, John, you see, listen to them. Listen to them, John, because they're tired of you every single night. They're tired of you. They try and tell you every single night. But what they're not tired of, John, they're not tired of being entertained. And that's where I come in. That's where I come in. It's what I do. It's what I love to do. I love to entertain. I live to entertain in the middle of this ring. Movie screen, doesn't matter. I live to entertain. You see, John, you see, John, every time we get together, the rock and the people, we innovate, we break new ground, we trailblaze. When the rock came back, When The Rock came back and said, John Cena, you come out here and you look like a big fat bowl of fruity pebbles. What happened? This is what they did. They started chanting fruity pebbles and then all of a sudden we find your monkey ass on the cover of a cereal box. When The Rock came back and said, said, John, The Rock is going to take his size 15 boot and stick it right up Cena's lady parts. What happened, John? They started chanting lady parts and then trending worldwide. Boom. You're welcome, bitch. second what we got we have we got half the crowd chanting rocky and the other half chanting lady parts which one do you want to chant okay i'll tell you what we'll do i mean we're split 50 50 how about this on the count of three let's do Lady Parts. One, two, three. Okay, now we can chant my favorite on the count of three. Let's go ahead and chant Rocky. One, two, three, and... 
You see John Cena, you're back there now, I want you to listen to him. What we do, we have fun. We entertain. We innovate. What's, what's the most innovative thing that you've done all year, John? Oh, I'll tell you what you did. You changed you change your jean shorts to camouflage shorts. Yeah, but here's the thing. I'll tell you right now, that camouflage is working, Jack. Because I speak for everyone here and everyone around the world to say, we can't find your balls whatsoever. <laughs> by, 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 by the way, here's how we're gonna, we're gonna make history again. Uh, right now again, Portland, Oregon, Cena's missing balls trending worldwide. John, John. chicken it's genius it's absolutely brilliant because every single Chinese restaurant you go to it's always there it's perfect rock and this is perfect rock the rock comes out does his shtick holds the millions in the palm of his hand like only the rock can do but I must admit I didn't come out here to swing from the people's strudel or whatever you're calling your penis nowadays came out here to tell you you were right you're right I am that guy I'm the guy who runs you down when you're not here but as usual just like everything else you're only half right because I'm the guy that runs you down when you are here you see these people love the rock I was one of these people until I got to meet Dwayne Johnson. Dwayne Johnson is a self-centered, egotistical, see-through son of a bitch. That wouldn't give a rat's ass if this company closed its doors tomorrow. Now I'll tell you something, Jack. I don't need words like respect and loyalty to trend worldwide just like I don't need my notes for my promo on my wrist nice tattoo so here's the skinny April 1st when the millions see John Cena versus The Rock John Cena is going to be eyeing up Dwayne Johnson 
And I don't like Dwayne Johnson. You probably make your boobs bounce. It'll be a thing on your eyebrow that looks like the people's eyebrow. But I'm going to be looking into the eyes of Dwayne Johnson and see a man afraid. Because you're going to be looking at a dude who may not have balls, but a dude who is going to beat the hell out of you at WrestleMania, Jack. Oh, carry on. Continue trending. It's like you, John. It's like you to come out, run your mouth, and then walk away before I slap the lips off your face. But I'll tell you what, it doesn't surprise me you come out here, now you confuse the world, you don't like The Rock, you like Dwayne Johnson, hate Dwayne Johnson, what you got? Let me tell you something, John, you're back there listening right now. You're back there listening right now. Let me tell you this, John, The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. That is the same man, the same man in here. Is the exact same man out there. The exact same man. The, and the exact same man, John. But the difference between me and you, you come out here, you run your mouth about being tough, you ain't tough. I know it and you know it. The bottom line is this, The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, the people's champ, the great one, the most electrifying man in all of entertainment. It doesn't matter, John. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters, and you're back there listening, is that what I'm going to do on the biggest stage of, the, of WrestleMania, the biggest match of all time, The Rock, all the nicknames you want to throw, Team Bring It Worldwide, we're going to kick your candy ass all over WrestleMania. If you Two thousand and thirteen, old school Raw. May Young makes her last TV appearance for the WWE. That night, they decided to celebrate her ninetieth birthday, which really wasn't happening until the following week. She doesn't turn ninety until the following week, but because they were doing an, an old school edition of Raw, they brought her back, and it was really nice. I mean, they celebrated a birthday. May Young was presented with a uh, personally monogrammed Divas Championship title. And it was nice. And it was sad also because this was the last time we ever saw her on TV. God rest his soul. 2014, the dream six-man tag match everybody wanted at that time, the Wyatts versus the Shield. Remember when they had that stare down in the middle of the ring and everybody was chanting, holy shit, holy shit. Well, this week in 14, they had that match on Monday Night Raw. And the Wyatts went over on the Shield. And I know we always remember the moment when Seth Rollins turned on the shield, hit his brothers with the chair, and we've seen that replay a thousand times. Well, if you go back during this time, there was dissension being teased amongst the shield members for quite some time. 
I think a lot of people forget that. But go back to this week in 14. Go watch this match. Get a good example of that. 2015, Rey Mysterio, after being with the WWE for 13 years, leaves the company. And in only a five-day span, leaves WWE, signs with the AAA promotion. And there was controversy while he was signed with AAA. We'll get into a couple of highlights and lowlights in the upcoming weeks. You know, it was only about two weeks after he signed, he was wrestling for the independent promotion, The Crash. And on that night, we had the tragic death of Pero Aguayo Jr. You know, there's a few things that went down in Mysterio's career with AAA at that time. And we will cover it when it, you know, when the time comes. I mean, we're just focusing right now on one particular week. In 2015 as well, on Monday Night Raw, we were right smack in the storyline of Miz and Damian Sandow, Mizdow. And they were doing like these spoofs of commercials and stuff like that. And Sandow has a new commercial idea for The Miz. Miz is so confident that the commercial is awesome. It doesn't need to be previewed. He doesn't want to see it in advance. And he decides to share the commercial with all of us live. And we are introduced to Niagara. Are you suffering from erectile dysfunction? And I can't stand it. Do you suffer from the following symptoms? It's too soft, too small, and completely, utterly useless. When his moneymaker just isn't enough, the Miz uses Niagara. Niagara is clinically proven to ensure that you can enjoy peak performance when you need it most. This little pill will set you straight. Satisfy her with Niagara. Side effects include lightheadedness, dizziness, not getting over, being a jabroni, uncontrollable urges, falling down, extended losing streaks, and falling off the A-list. Niagara. 2017, the Hardys left TNA. No, that didn't happen this week in wrestling history, but we were approaching WrestleMania. A lot of rumors if the Hardys would appear at WrestleMania. And then this little detour took place in Manhattan at Ring of Honor. did the Hardys fight the Bucks of Youth that night, but they would go on to win the Ring of Honor tag titles. Keep it for a short period of time, but it was really a cool moment for Hardy fans, especially Ring of Honor fans, this week in 2017. Notable birthdays this week. First, those who are celebrating birthdays who are no longer with us. Happy birthday, Vern Gagne. 
Dewey Robertson, a.k.a. The Missing Link, Mike Von Erich, Joey Morella, Reed Flair, and Lance Cade. Happy birthday. God rest your souls. Mark Lewin turns 81. Sheik Adnan Al-Casey turns 79. Ricky Steamboat turns 65. Mike Tenay, 64. Deborah, the former wife of Steve Austin and Steve McMichael, turns 58. James Mitchell, a.k.a. the Sinister Minister, Booker T. and Norman Smiley, turn 53. Scotty Riggs turns 51. Manami Toyota turns 47. Ultimo Guerrero turns 46. Masato Tanaka, 45. Crowbar, 44. Miss Jones, 43. Lance Archer, 41. Happy birthday, DJ Hyde turns 40. Sarita, 39. Justin Gabriel turns 37. Mascarita Divina and Davey Richards turn 35. Big E turns 32. Akito and Kyle O'Reilly turn 31. Tennille Dashwood, who you know as Emma, turns 29. And El Gio del Piatra Morgan turns 26. Unfortunately, notable deaths this week. We lost Angelo Pafo. He died at the age of 84. Frank Marconi died at 79. Billy Robinson at 75. Doug Furness died at 52. Hayabusa tragically died at 47. Elizabeth Chase died at age 41, and Dino Casanova died at age 35. So with that, I bid you farewell for this week in wrestling history. Please follow me on Twitter, at DonTonyD. The website, DonTony.com, if you want to email me, DonTony at DonTony.com. Facebook.com slash Show. And if you like what we do and you want to support the shows, help us keep the bills paid to keep everything uh, in business. Consider our Patreon page. It is patreon.com slash Don Tony. Very, very small group, very uh, elite group over there. Uh, very tight knit family. You'll really enjoy yourself over there. You'll be helping us, you know, with the financial aspects of these shows. And in return, we have exclusive podcasts there that you can't hear anywhere else. Between Castle Chronicles and Breakfast Soup, there's almost 100 episodes. Castle Chronicles is a solo show hosted by Kevin Castle. Wrestling Soup is a show hosted by yours truly and Anthony Missionary Thomas of Wrestling Soup. It's kind of like a combination between Breakfast with Blasi and Wrestling Soup. We also have giveaways every month, pay-per-view predictions contest. Also, you actually, the VIPers, uh, give us a lot of input, a lot of content which we discuss on the shows weekly, not just on Patreon, but on the regular shows as well. And there's a lot of other stuff going on there. You really will enjoy it. Patreon.com slash Don Tony. I am out of here. Everyone enjoy the rest of the week. I will be back in one week to give you next edition of This Week in Wrestling History. Take care, everyone. Be well. Ciao. And now, breaking news from migraine sufferer Whoopi Goldberg about Nurtec ODT Remegipant 75 milligrams. I got big news. Now Nurtec ODT is the first and only medication proven to treat and prevent migraines. This is big time. Don't take if allergic to Nurtec ODT. The most common side effects were nausea, stomach pain, and indigestion. For important safety information, prescribing information, and patient information, visit Nurtec.com. Ask your doctor about Nurtec today. Nurtec, baby. Grand Canyon University, a Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest-growing universities in the country, offering over 200 engaging programs online. 
GCU invests in high-demand areas such as nursing, teaching, and the sciences. Students engage with faculty who become partners in your success. GCU's online students received over $100 million in scholarships in 2020. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you qualify for.